Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com. Yeah, there it is. When that robot voice pops in, you know it is time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in. Especially if you're one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Or hey, maybe you're just out for an evening stroll. Maybe you're stuck in traffic listening to us in your car. Maybe you're taking the kids to school because it's back to school already in most of America. Whatever the case, we're going to be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash DLC pod. They bring the show to you. Their generosity, their support, their belief in what we do here means we get to keep making these episodes. And in exchange, they get some cool stuff, bonus perks, including ad-free versions of the show video versions of the show on demand and bonus content. Oh, so much bonus content, ladies and gentlemen, including feeling this Fridays where the feeling this show's coming out, making you feel good for the weekend. Christian Spicer, Alex Solman talking about the feelings behind video games. Oh, it's so good. A whole first season, second season rocking right now. Plus, the DLC Book Club audio-only version, the podcast version where Lana Bashinsky and I talk about the Malazan Books of the Fallen. We're starting on book three, Memories of Ice. So much fun. We had our interview with Steven Erickson. So much fun. Plus, you got your paid DLC program on Wednesdays. That's your, uh, your hump day. Get you through the week, little jolt in the arm of Goofy. Because we get a little wacky there uh, on the Wednesday show. Paid DLC where Christian Spicer and Lana Bashinsky and myself just talking about whatever comes up. It's good times, and it's all for patrons at patreon.com slash Pod. But this show, the main show, DLC, it's the show all about games, and there are many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also, games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. This is with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. He's the, uh, the blue slash purple slash orange slash red ninja turtle it's christian spicer hello christian hello jeff hello everyone um real quick up top and unfortunately we can do this far too often but having 
visited Hawaii for the first time myself this past year. The folks in Maui uh, really suffered an incredible tragedy. Again, it's going on around the world, unfortunately, and we try not to mention it every week. But having just visited Maui for the first time myself recently and having um, made some charitable donations, I would encourage listeners to check out how they can help those folks there suffering right now in one of the state's worst natural disasters and certainly one of the worst fire casualties in the United States in a, in a long time. And so if you have a little bit to spare and you can help those folks out, a little bit from a lot of people can go a very long way. And I would encourage our listeners to, uh, you know, put some good into the world. Very good note. I mean, it, it's so sad to see what is going on there. Um, somebody who... Uh, right before COVID, uh, last trip I ever took <laughs> before COVID was uh, to Maui and went to those exact beaches and stayed at a lot of the places that have been wiped out. Very sad to see. Um, and, you know, I don't know if you have a specific uh, place to send folks, but. Um, Nowhere specific. I think, I mean, there are a few that I could reference, but I also don't want to point people somewhere that, you know, they think that their money can do better somewhere else. But there are great relief efforts happening right now. And um, I encourage folks to take a little bit of time and see where they think their money can go the furthest. Indeed. Always hard to pivot from that to video games, but we do have a lot of stuff to talk about. I know Christian likes to surprise me with these things, but uh, there's a lot of stuff to to talk about uh, video game wise. And ladies and gentlemen, we have one of our favorite guests to do it with. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable, downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh, I'm so excited because DLC stands for digital livelihoods and commerce because we have the co-host of the virtual economy podcast as well as the author of the game dev business handbook it's our friend mike futter back with us hey mike hey thank you so much for having me back love having you on the show uh love to dig into some interesting news we're kind of in that percolating right before gamescom period but there's still some interesting stuff going on certainly lots of huge games out to talk about so let's get right into it and start the uh, the show the way we always do with story of the week story of the week it's the story of the week story of the week it's the story of the week Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also send comments or questions, anything you'd like us to know. We love hearing from you. dlcfeedback at gmail.com. But that's not the only way. You can also check out our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Or our Discord, which is 5x5DLC on Discord. Lots of great folks hanging out, talking about the show, talking about video games and all sorts of other stuff. Really cool community. I urge you to take part. But Mike, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Uh, I mean, we were just talking about this before the show, but that Overwatch 2 story, hitting Steam and then tanking hard. I, I think that... that we're getting a getting a look at the fallout from the divorce, I guess, between <laughs> yes. Lizard and it was Nettie's, right? Yeah, Nettie's. Was, that was hard to see mom and dad partner. fight, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, mom and dad didn't just fight. Nettie's took 
sledgehammers to that uh, yeah. Warcraft statue that was out in front of their office. They were <laughs> they, they they Adam Drivered the wall, you might say. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Uh, so um, Mike is referring to the fact that Overwatch Two has debuted on Steam. Not a not a lot of Blizzard games on Steam, uh, but uh, Overwatch Two came to Steam and has taken the dubious title of worst reviewed Steam game. Of all time, 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 time. There is a website that tracks these things. Uh, It is called uh, steam250.com. And you can go to their bottom 100 hall of shame. And you'll see Overwatch 2 there right at number one, right at the top of the list of worst reviewed games on Steam. It has a score, uh, an average score of 0.96. That's with 92,000 votes. 92,000 votes. I mean, it is broken, terrible animations. It's way too expensive. You know, like it just doesn't work. It's like a a new IP that they just made. I'm just kidding. It's none of those things. Well, I think it's, none of, know, it's none of those cer- things. Certainly a case to be made that, it, you know, it is an odd sequel in that it switched to the free-to-play model. And it, it you know, it, it did a lot of things that I think um, have frustrated folks. But uh, right before we started recording, Mike pointed us to this really interesting write-up from uh, Daniel Ahmad, who is uh, Director of Research and Insights at Nico Partners, uh, game analyst, game industry analyst. Uh, you want to summarize what, what his point of view is, Mike? Because I think it's an interesting sure. take that I wasn't aware of when I first saw this story. I mean, first of all, um, Dan is one of the smartest people I know. Uh I've known him for a number of years before even he was at Nico Partners, and I've always really appreciated his perspective on the industry and especially on China and Asia. And that's kind of where this is grounded. If you look at the reviews, what you're seeing is people in China who were really upset that their Blizzard accounts, that their accounts with all of these games, because Blizzard and NetEase had a long-term partnership, and then it ended. Uh, I believe it was earlier this year, might have been late last year. Um, and what happened was people had to abandon all of their progress and start over. So Overwatch 2 is playable in China. Uh, it is localized in Chinese on Steam, but it is not the same accounts that people were using before. They're really, really unhappy. There's no national server. Uh, obviously the existing game accounts and the progress related to that didn't carry over. Logins are apparently slow. Online connections are very slow from, from China. Uh, yeah, it's just, people are really, really unhappy in China. So this is, this is largely being tanked by the Chinese market who finally has an outlet to express their dissatisfaction with how that whole thing fell apart and left them out in the cold after years and years and years. Uh, what we've even got here, and Dan points out, uh, if you wanted to follow him on Twitter, it's uh, at Zhuge, uh, EX, so uh, Z-H-U-G-E-E-X. I'm not calling it X.com. I repeat that. Still Twitter. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> so uh, what ended up happening here is they are, there was a previous, there was a game that was previously the worst. And I see if you look at the steam 250 list, it's number two right now called war of the three kingdoms. It's a card battle game from a developer in China called Yuka. And people are so intent on making overwatch Two the worst reviewed game on steam that they are going and leaving positive reviews on this other game, which is <laughs> apparently legitimately bad just to keep overwatch Two at the top of the, the hall of shame. 
It's never, it's really bad. Never underestimate gamers' ability to min-max. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> so just some statistics here um, uh, from Daniel's account, which I, I think are pretty interesting. So 100, uh, nearly 100,000 views on Overwatch 2 on Steam since launching three days ago, uh, as of his writing. He said 91% are negative. Of the 91% negative, two-thirds of those reviews, 63,000, are written in Chinese. Simplified, yeah, simplified Chinese. Simplified Chinese. And 97% of those that are written in simplified Chinese are negative. So it is just a the, the vast majority of what has uh, lowered the average rating is what's going on here, which I don't think makes that an illegitimate score uh, per mm-hmm. se. It does, you know, it does describe the reason why it's happening. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious what you think of that in general. Do you think this is um, is problematic for uh, Overwatch 2? Do you think it's it's merely a uh, fun anecdote that isn't actually going to affect most people's uh, reaction to the game? Or do you think it's something bigger than that? I think that because it's Overwatch 2, I think it escapes that whole what is the Steam review score. I think user reviews on Steam are really important. I think looking at, I love the way Steam does this all time and recent because it allows yeah. you to see changes in the game. I think that that's really smart. I think that they're they're also now flagging when review bombing happens, so so that is useful. Unlike Metacritic, where when you, when users come in and, and tank the reviews on the user side, it, it, there's not a whole lot of context to it. But this is also not just about the Netties relationship falling apart. It's about the things that are happening globally with Overwatch yeah. 2, where people are still really unhappy about this strong pivot from PV from PvP to a promise of significant PvE to walking that back and then releasing this the first set of missions for $15. And if you look at the the Western reviews for those, you can even see people saying, Hey, this is interesting, but it's not $15 worth of content. This does not meet the value bar that we expect. And it certainly doesn't when you're talking about Blizzard. Yeah. And on top of it, you've got Blizzard who is still stumbling through Diablo 4 right now. Not as badly as they did through the launch of Diablo 3. But things aren't things aren't clicking at Blizzard right now. And it's very noticeable. And a lot of that is very likely brain drain due to all of the problems that Activision Blizzard is having. Oh, sure. And Blizzard specifically. Yeah, it seems like every other uh, newly announced, newly formed uh, developer studio is former Blizzard, former mm-hmm. Blizzard, former Blizzard. It, it does seem like there was a, a bit of an exodus that has uh, resulted in a bunch of new studios forming. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's a, a that's pretty solid analysis. Christian, um, Overwatch 2, number one, and we've got War of the Three Kingdoms, Flat Out 3, Chaos and Destruction, Identity. Uriel's Chasm, Space Base DF9, O2 Jam Online, Mobile Suit Gundam Battle Operation 2, Roller Coaster Tycoon World, and Goddess are your top 10 worst ranked games. As I would have expected, I've never heard of most of those, you know, because you figure there's a lot of shovelware, a lot of garbage that people will rightly flag as being pretty bad. So I would assume a lot of these are just real bad games. But it's also interesting looking on this list. Uh, there are some pretty big games that pop up. Redfall this mm-hmm. year came out May. Uh, hits the list at 17. Worst Oof. reviewed. That's pretty intense. 
Uh, Call of Duty Warzone is at 23 <laughs> from November. Uh, yeah. you know, so I, and Modern Warfare 2 is on 29. Dynasty Warriors 9. Deus Ex The Fall. There's some uh, Resident Evil Reverse. There's some bigger games on here that clearly uh, Resident Evil Resistance at 39. Um, there's some clearly some games that you know people were just angry and galvanized around uh, uh, bad reviews, and I think that's the case here with Overwatch 2. And obviously, we've touched touched on the uh, you know the, the Chinese issue. What is your take on how big of a problem this is, or what it represents for what is a giant franchise for Blizzard and a big IP? I don't think it's that big of a problem for blizzard the being the worst reviewed game on steam of all time that in isolation i don't think is that big of a problem for blizzard i I think as mike pointed out it is enough of a known quantity and it's coming to steam after not being on steam for a while like it established itself people know what that game is i think the larger issue is activision blizzard's relationships with china and that huge gaming audience and how do you bridge that divide in a way that is satisfactory to everyone and also plays by the rules uh, required in order to have a game release in those territories. And I think like many things, unfortunately, the people um, left to suffer, not, you know, hard, not, there are worse things in the world, but the people left out are the gamers, the people who want to be playing these games and aren't given an opportunity because of, you know, powers higher and bigger than them uh fighting and and wrestling over uh where a a comma is (laughs) amongst a lot of zeros um so i don't think it's that big of an issue for them in terms of the review itself i think the bigger issue outside of the activision blizzard and and chinese relations is the, the internet I don't know what the internet is right now, or even social media. I don't know if it's a teenager at this point, or if it's a Gen Xer, you know, like what, what generation the internet and social media is at right now in terms of growing up. But I think we're seeing a lot of growing pains in that space with Twitter and X or what threads is, or people's approach to social media in general or sharing. I mean, there was a time I feel like where if you went out and you took up every picture on your phone was posted on your Facebook account or on your MySpace account. Like you went out, you took 20 pictures. They were all posted. Bad ones, good ones. It's like, this is what we did. And we journaled everything, right? And that has changed or is changing. And I think user reviews are also in that space of like, there was a time where it was like, everyone will have a voice and you won't just be stuck listening to what so-and-so food critic thinks of this hole-in-the-wall restaurant that is a local favorite but of course it's not like a five course meal so whatever fancy newspaper food critic is like oh it's not that great but everybody loves it because now everybody has a voice democratization of opinions is incredible and and now we've seen over time that like you know yelp's not that great (laughs) user reviews for movies aren't that great in in a lot of ways and for video games aren't that great but i think mike made a great point uh in saying that as a consumer, there's very little outlet or valve to voice your frustration at something that is largely out of your control. And I think we're seeing people use review scores for that, user scores for that, then mixed with the internet memeing and dunking. So I feel like 
I, I would guess, and I don't have this data, but I would guess that a lot of the positive scores for the prior worst game are people just getting in on the meme, you know, mm-hmm. taking it to the moon or whatever. And I don't have an answer for it, Jeff. Mike, I don't know if you do, but it I understand it, but it's frustrating and problematic. And I think to me, that's the bigger issue is mm-hmm. the democratization of everything. Apparently we all suck. <laughs> we we do, but I also worry about the fall of Twitter as the town square, because if you look at how brands used it, and I'm coming at this from the business, from the business side, that it is an important vehicle for, for brands to communicate with people, but also to take feedback. And yeah, there's a lot of crap in there. And we, we've seen the harassment, we've seen all of the bad stuff. And I think because there is so much bad stuff, we, we lose the good. And one of the things that I have seen since Musk took over Twitter and the amount of discourse, like positive discourse there has diminished even further, is that you no longer have that pipeline. And I wonder if that's by intent. I wonder if it's because it what Twitter was a way for the average person to speak truth to power if they're using it the right way. There's the harassment angle and there's all of the bad stuff. And Twitter's trust and safety team was not great, but it was something. Now we have X and Blue Sky. And we know Facebook's trust and safety team is overworked and there's horror stories there. But I, I actually lament the loss of of the best version of Twitter mm. as the town square because it has, I think, removed a outlet for people to legitimately and positively and constructively share their thoughts in a way that can actually be heard. Yeah, um, that's interesting. But I, I want to pose this question kind of around this because there are, from my perspective, there are multiple different lenses. What is the most important aspect of the way a game is received? Is it the gameplay? Is it the context, which is what we have here? We have yeah. context that's dragging this review score down. Or is it something else? Because you can have an empirically – and it's rare to be able to say, oh, this game is empirically good, empirically bad. Everything is subjective, right? But as close to empirical as you can get, you can have games that are that are strong foundationally, that aren't buggy, that perform well, like you talked about, Christian. And then this happens. Is this still a valid lens through which somebody needs to interpret this, whether that's the community team or – right? or developers or leadership or, you know, someone in the studio or individual buyers. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's the thing that is, is strange from my perspective is just somebody looking at, if we're talking about these influencing purchasing decisions, which ostensibly that's their purpose, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, If you are uninformed about the state of overwatch and you go and you look at that, you're not going to interpret a, terrible, you know, overwhelmingly negative score as, oh, I guess people are making a, a, a real statement about <laughs> the <laughs> economics of how this game was <laughs> internationally sold. You know, it, 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 you would think, oh, I guess it's that gameplay layer that people are mad about. It's, mm-hmm. it's a, the game is terrible. Uh, and I think that's, that's an interesting framing because you don't have any, any, mechanism on the site to contextualize that other than reading the individual reviews. But in this case, if you're talking an American perspective, most of these reviews aren't 
in a language that a lot of Americans speak, mm-hmm. right? So it's further obfuscated because you, you go, well, I'll just look at these negative reviews. Oh, can't read them. <laughs> or I guess I could run them through, you know, Google Translate. But it just, it feels like a confusion layer that's that's potentially uh, problematic too. So it's it, it feels like a lose-lose on a number of levels <laughs> for, I, uh, for everybody. The, I always, you know, I always pull out the, you know, would this make an interesting Harvard Business School case study? <laughs> and and I wonder if it would. I mean, especially when we talk about the importance if for this industry, especially the, the importance of China and the importance of serving that market in a way that uh, not only complies with the government layer, which is very difficult to work with, but you've got a player base that at the end of the day, they're players just like us. Yeah. And if you were playing a game for 10 years on the same account uh, and suddenly the relationship between the original developer and the local partner that's absolutely required in order to get the game that falls apart, you're caught in the crossfire as Christian identified and you're a player. I've lost my characters. I have lost my ability to continue playing world of Warcraft with my guild or my clan. Right. So I, I understand the frustration. Yeah, totally. It's like it's not net easy at all. Oh, that was terrible. Uh, Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? Uh, There's interesting stuff happening. And uh, there's a a game I certainly hope we talk about. But it's not going to be my story of the week. I'm not even going to say what it is, Jeff. I'm not going to pull you and mention something and say that that's not my story. But then talk about it for 10 minutes as I say that it's not my story. But then give all the details about it because it's still not my story. Um, my story ties in a little bit to some recent paid DLC episodes we've had of our Wednesday show. And there's been some really fun conversations on those shows. Um, Danish was on, I think two weeks ago and you all talked about it again and the RP servers and, and role playing deep role playing that's taking place in games that don't traditionally have it. And so if you haven't listened to that paid DLC from, I think it was two weeks ago, Danish was on, he went through this really fun story of getting accepted into the server and the things he had to do in order to be a part of this community and how to play this game. And he was going to do the role-playing within Red Dead, Red Dead Redemption 2. And now, two weeks later, what's this news? Beep, 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 coming across the wire is Rockstar Games is acquiring the team behind 5M and Red M, and they are two of the the larger RP mod communities and that run these files. Uh, let me get this backing it up. That allow for that gameplay layer to happen. There are things you need to add to the game to do your and, and to make it work in that role play style community. And Rockstar is bringing these in-house. And I think that is a super fascinating story. One, in terms of a recognition of how big these communities are and, and can be. I think perhaps the, the bigger issue is can be. And the potential that Rockstar sees in monetizing them the way they have GTA Online. And two, I'm fascinated by this continuing trend, Jeff, we've seen of... C- fan-made communities being made legit or official with WoW hardcore mode and now these role-playing servers. And I guess the question I would first offer to you, Mike, is, is this good? Yay. 
developer sees this awesome community stuff and wants to make it internal and bring it in-house? Or is this maybe bad in the sense of, oh, they're taking away our toys and going to monetize them and make them part of core product? Does one version is one version better for the player than the other, or is it too early to know? I think it's too early to know because it's case by case. I, I often love when people in the community do great things with a game that gets recognized and then they get paid for it. I, I think that that is, that is the virtuous cycle that we have seen throughout the life of this industry. You have people who come from the mod community. I, I mean, wasn't Dice, wasn't like Pat, uh, Patrick Soderlund, you know, early on, he was a, he was a modder. Yep. And then kind of that's, that's how Battlefield was born. If I'm it's Miss Pac-Man uh, in the Waybacks, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I, I actually love that when when you have people who make fan games, which is a risky thing legally, depending on who who it is that you know you're making a fan. Like what IP? Who owns the IP? Like, don't do that for Nintendo, by the way. Never ever do that for Nintendo. You're going to get <laughs> shut down the moment the moment they find out about it. You're done. The likelihood of them hiring you is is very <laughs> very low. Uh, but there are others where we see where we see that it's like, hey, we've got a really strong mod community. Bethesda, you know, kind of did this as well with the Creation Club and kind of some of those mods were built in house, but some of those mods were built by by the community. And uh, for this, I think it's really interesting. And I, I actually think this is very savvy of Rockstar because they see the importance of these communities. But, you know, you've got a note here about how. You know, there was a piracy concern there. There was a banning that happened and, um, you know, Rockstar, the, the whole Pinkerton thing, like yeah. companies sending Pinkertons to people's people's homes is, is a scary thing. But if they like the tools and they like the net result and they're worried about GTA six or the evolution of GTA online, they want to include this, but they're afraid of how it's going to compromise the tech and potentially open the door to. Uh, code injection or anything that could ruin the experience and you know we've seen Bungie going after cheap you know cheap makers very aggressively this could save them a lot of money in in legal costs mm. and at the same time compensate the people who are doing really good work and, and serving their community both of their communities serving the rockstar and the gta online community but serving their own community of, of role players i actually think this is this could be very very cool and if we start seeing those tools baked into official role play servers and they're not going to compromise the experience because I, I've played about half an hour of GTA online and it was a nightmare. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I understand why they sell so many copies because I guess people get banned left and right. <laughs> they got to buy a new one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I think this is fascinating. You guys have said a lot of really, uh, you know, pertinent things that, that I, I just want to underscore. Um, the first is that, you know, the, as Mike mentioned, it's so interesting because in 2015, which is eight years ago, these guys were already doing this stuff, you know, and Rockstar's like, no, no, bad, bad modders. We don't like you to do this. Stop, cease and desist. Uh, and uh, And now here, 20, you know, 2023, eight years later, they're like, Good, good modders. Thank you for doing this. Yeah. Welcome me into the fold. I think that's progress. I think that's mm -hmm. really cool. And you love to see, you know, Christian was so right to point out the weird serendipity of this news. I immediately texted Atlanta and I both texted Danish uh, right after this, this broke because we had just talked about it. It's so weird. This has been going on for a long time. 
And it just made my radar because our friend Danish was like, hey, I am doing this. A friend told me about how crazy the Red Dead Redemption 2 role-playing server is. And you have to, if you have a chance to, you know, financially you can support the show at a level to, uh, to hear the paid DLC program that we do for backers. Uh, it's wild to hear Danish describe the process. It's like applying to get a driver's license. It's you take a test. They give you, there's documents you have to study. You have to prove to these people that you are up to the challenge of playing on a role-playing server. It's not Easier just like to oh, get a real gun. To go out and get a real gun than it is to get a gun and red. Don't even joke. Don't even joke. I'm not joking. It is (laughs) no joke there. Uh, The the it's real. I think it's laudable how seriously they take it because this is not the people who want this kind of experience of really pretending like they live in the old west, playing all sorts of different kinds of characters, having elaborate backstories having entire world that's created where every npc is a person is a human being everybody you encounter is an actual human being who's taking this extremely seriously and is bought into the fiction it is a remarkable thing to pull off to ensure that world is not going to be griefed or or even just undermined from people just having you know a laugh I think it's really cool. And the way in hearing Danish describing the process and how, how well thought through all of it is clearly these developers, you know, these modders mm-hmm. have put in so much blood, sweat and tears into this, that there's a lot of effort and it's ongoing. It's not, they oversee all of it. It's managed. It's like, it's, it is a, you know, what it sounds like a full-time job. It's like a, a lot of work. And to see that rewarded from Rockstar, I think is a pretty cool thing. I think if you would ask these folks, this is probably a dream come true. I mean, I'm, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but it reminds me of um, uh, Narbacular Drop. Does anybody remember Narbacular Drop? That's the game that the DigiPen students made that became Portal because somebody oh. at Valve was like, these kids are doing something really awesome. We should hire them. And let them make something for us because they're using our, you know, source engine and making stuff on their own. I love when this kind of thing happens. And that it was a real success story and a real inspiring thing, you know, way back when, whatever, 2005 or whatever that was, when, uh, you know, Portal became a thing. It was just these students like, you know, doing modding, basically. And that's what it reminded me of, because I, there's a lot we do not know about this. We do not know that these developers were brought in, these modders were brought in to make RP servers for anything. We don't know that this is part of GTA 6. We don't know anything about what the next step of this process is. And I suspect, again, this is pure speculation on my part, but it's my sense is that it could be as simple as, hey, these are awesome people making awesome stuff with our tools. We want them to be part of our company. Like we, we want their influence internal. And I think, cause that's kind of what the valve thing was. It's like, Hey, there's these awesome kids doing this really cool thing with our tool set. Let's just bring them on and see what they make with resources, with real resources. And I think 
even if we don't see, you know, like a official RP servers that Rockstar is creating, I think just sort of bringing these folks on and having them influence the future of Rockstar games is cool, you know? Absolutely. I, I, I have a couple ahead, stats Mike. for you real quick. Sorry. Um, so Take-Two announced their Q1 earnings this week. GTA 5 is now to 185 million units. <laughs> 185 million. We just 185 million. We did a story last week about how um Konami was celebrating Metal Gear getting to 55 million series, series wide. Series the entire wide. series from 1987 on. Yep. And just one game. <laughs> That's insanity. That's wild. Uh they also said that they're anticipating, quote, a significant inflection point in fiscal 2025. I think <laughs> that's when we can expect GTA 6. So there's plenty of time. Yeah. For there's there's I would say that that given Rockstar's history, I would expect a Q2 release or Q1 release rather for so a spring release mm-hmm. for for GTA 6. So that would be probably sometime between, you know, April or May of 2025. Yeah, over 2024, but yes, 2025. Yeah, 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 yeah. 2025. Yeah. Um actually no, if they're looking at it at fiscal 2025, it could be earlier than that. It could be March of 2025 would make a lot of sense. So right at the end of their fiscal year. But here's the thing with all those pre-orders, they're going to like you could release that game on March 31st. Yeah. And it would and it would make their year. Right. 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 <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. My, I mean, uh, it, go ahead, Christian. My, my only thoughts on it or some other thoughts on it, I should say, are my concern about when you get a company's resources. And there's a great quote, while our day-to-day operations won't have any noticeable changes, with Rockstar support, we are going to continue to improve our platform and we are truly excited for what this means for our users, community, and creators. As a quote from the team. And I think that's the right quote and hopefully the honest idea between both partners right now. My concern, and having gone through this uh, on some teams over the years, is that when a big company starts giving resources they start expecting return Mm -hmm. and it becomes a business versus a passion and Mm -hmm. people doing something because they love it and wanting to go out and do it is a very different thing than we've given you $10 million. You are now a line item on our budget somewhere and we need to see ROI because it is an I, it is an investment. It's not a, Mm -hmm. it's not a charitable gift. And so that I guess unless what, you are selling $155 million <laughs> uh, units of something and you, you get money to burn, I don't know, maybe not. That's literally money falling out of their pockets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We, uh, we, we, we bought this because we literally brewstered millions our way through the day and yeah. we couldn't spend anything else. Um, <laughs> and so my concern, unwarranted or unproven at the time, is that th- this is going to be something that needs to pay off for rockstar whether it is official rp servers or just integrating other ways to create deeper hooks into whatever gta 6's online world or mode is that then allows for rockstar to monetize off of that because i think the scarier number aside from mike's already astronomical stat of how many copies gta 5 has sold is how much revenue gta online is making and, you know, people, the bulk of those 185 million copies aren't people constantly replaying the story. It's also not people <laughs> right. yeah. 
doing the Danish sign up for RP servers, a lot of folks are really invested in GTA Online, and it's a a great package and a great way to get into that game. And so, I, well, I, I think I don't think let's be fair. I don't think the RP servers are moving the needle. You can only ever have two hundred and fifty people online oh, no, no, at a I, given time, and that. So I it's agree. Like, I don't think they're they're taking money from from Rockstar, but I think what Rockstar sees is the potential to make more money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> by implementing some of those things in their broader release. And so I'm curious to see kind of how it how it shakes out when something becomes part of a larger company. Um, again, just to restate it, well, I, I think I, they expect something in return. I, I don't, you know, you, clearly you're, you're right is, as far as, you know, historically. Wait, what was that? And no, that's no, no, go the, ahead. The, the cynical view <laughs> that you're always so, you know, yeah, your cynical views tend to pan out. I will remain Pollyanna and say... I hope that they do a RP official RP mode just of how cool it sounds in the modding community to have that be more front facing to end users and, and, and perhaps a, uh, you know, it entices more people to give it a shot. And I think just, it's just a cool thing. I, you know, I've talked about in the show how I got into the hardcore servers on wow and thought that was just a wild, interesting unique experience and now that became an official server official option i think that it surfaces it to folks that might not know about these niche communities and i think that's cool i think interfacing with video games in new and interesting ways is is awesome it feels like a very emergent kind of way to play these games and if rockstar does embrace that officially and kind of puts that out as a an official mode in their in their products i think that could be really cool and i hope you know, I, I, maybe it'll be just a way to crassly make more cash, but I also think maybe it could be cool for folks, you know? I agree. I just don't trust a large company to then run it with the care that the community has been run. I think as Mike mentioned, yeah. you jump into GTA online. A lot of times that someone shows up with a rocket launcher and then, you know, griefs yeah. you for the next 20 hours. And I don't know, I don't know what that solve is. It's already something the destiny community has been wrestling with for a long time of like, how do you bring new people in? How do you, and, and wow as well, Jeff, I know you have like when people come in and how do you make a good experience for people? Yeah. And I think the more people you surface it to the more, uh, lulls, um, are going to go along with it, but it's super what? interesting. And we have years to wait to find out. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. And kudos to that team. I think that's cool. I, I, this, this does, seem to me like put in hard work and sometimes people notice. I think that's what's neat. Um, well, you know, we're already long on the news segment, but uh, we got to talk about my story of the week, which is uh, a bunch of big games got new trailers. The THQ showcase happened this week and we got a whole summer. Bunch. We got more games. Yeah. On it's DLC. barely summer. My kids are going back to school <laughs> and there's still new game uh, announcements. All right. Um, the uh, the the list of the THQ showcase games uh, is is pretty awesome. There's some heavy hitters in, in here. Uh, there's a new a new South Park game called Snow Day that it looks like a departure from the previous um, you know role playing game versions of of South Park. This is going to be a co op multiplayer action game uh, where it looks like you can be able you know team up with friends and have a snow day and, and wreck all sorts of havoc. Um, unfortunately most of the trailers in the thq showcase were just cg kind of teaser trailers very few of them showed actual gameplay but still really cool titles i put so many hours into the original titan quest 
on uh, Xbox 360, I believe. Um, and Titan Quest 2 has been long, uh, you know, long announced, uh, still coming. Uh, we got another CGI trailer for Titan Quest 2. I am absurdly excited for that game. I really hope they knock it out of the park. Uh, the, the Gothic remake got a trailer. Trine, the Trine franchise is up to five. Mm-hmm. Nobody told me. I, I I had no idea we are up to five Trine games. Uh, they had a very charming trailer that was all about hanging out with people and playing couch co-op in Trine. Uh, it's a that's a a series I very much love. Alone in the Dark, the horror classic horror franchise that's getting uh, rebooted, remade, um, had two of two trailers that were some of the most striking, interesting, outside of the box ways to market a video game I've seen in a long time. It was just two of the characters. Each video only had one character in it standing. This is a, a you know a fully digital character standing in a spotlight, giving a monologue. That's sort of in, you know, in the- thematically consistent or, you know, in in lore of what those characters are going through. Just really striking and, and interesting. Um, Mike, anything else in the, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> anything else in the, uh, in the THQ showcase that struck yeah. your fancy? I, I think, um, you know, some of the trailers were really good even if they were kind of cinematic and outcast is the one that, that blew me away. I, I, I mean, I'm an, yeah. old, I'm an old gamer, so I do remember the original outcast, uh, in all of its janky glory. Uh, but this, <laughs> this game looks great. Like I'm really excited for the new outcast. Yeah. Third, third person sort of action, open world looking, um, you're in the sky, you're doing stuff on the ground. And then they showed like this layer of hard to grok from, from just a trailer, but like, interconnectivity of the world mm-hmm. that had sort of like a flow chart of all this stuff that was like a relationship map or a mind yeah. map or, of something. Yeah. Really it was really interesting. Yeah, I agree. That's called outcast a new beginning. Uh, Christian, I'm sure you were, you were, you were excited about uh TMNT, the last Ronin. However, that trailer really didn't show anything. That game trailer is d- way in the distance. Yeah. Yes, that trailer did not show anything. It had been rumored, now officially announced. I will say to people that are interested in it, the graphic novel is excellent, and don't uh, internet search it. I, I I think it's still excellent if you know the thing what happens. Um, but it is, I think, best read unknown. Um, and so, if, if you are interested in the video game and you want to explore that, just go. Go pick up the graphic novel. You you will enjoy it. It is an, an adult-themed Ninja Turtle, so know that. And I'm curious, you know, they're pitching this as a God of War third-person action game, adult-oriented, I mean, the story is adult-oriented take. And I'm curious how well TMNT can straddle that or can walk on both sides of that line in other forms of entertainment. And comics have done a great job over the years. Uh, being the Nick cartoon friendly and also still having more adult fare and black and white and all sorts of stuff. But comics have kind of done that across books. You know, you can get Batman books that are very kid friendly. And then there's the black label books that have full frontal in them, you know, <laughs> and are not, are not kid friendly. And same with Spider-Man and, and, and several others. But in TV, movies, video games, the turtles have pretty much been family friendly and I'm curious how they can how how well this game will present them as no no no, there's mature content out there. In fact, these characters started as mature content, 
and uh, how that hits with the audience. But I, I'm very excited. But after this episode, uh, my friends, I'm going to forget this game exists yeah. until after GTA 6 comes out <laughs> when this game will then still be two years away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool idea for a, for a, a you know, for a TMNT game. I'm, yeah. I'm excited about it. And it was very much a teaser. So we, you know, just little, literally candles being blown out. Mm-hmm. So um, far off, but Another game that uh, I was I didn't know about before this that uh, I thought was pretty charming is Space for Sale, mm. which looks like a cute little uh, uh, you know base building exploring an uh, alien world, top down perspective, but just a really lovely art direction. I thought it was kind of these chunky characters walking around on a, in a, in a, a a very pleasing environment um, sparked my interest as well. Overall, I thought this THQ showcase was a pretty strong collection of of trailers even if many of them didn't show much other than you know cg or or titles uh, i just thought it looks like thq has a pretty strong slate over the next however many cycles you know yeah and i think they still have a ridiculous number of games that haven't been announced yeah, yeah. and that's a cross embracer group uh which is going through its own challenges right now but uh the one trailer in there that that kind of stood out to me as being a little strange was the gothic remake trailer which wasn't really a trailer it was like a gameplay segment but it didn't really show much it was, it was very was, odd it sort of ended abruptly and you know there's like this kind of st- the guy tra- goes into stealth mode and then is immediately found out and he's yep. like, hey get out of there and it's just <laughs> very odd but did, did you think that was gameplay or cg uh it, it, maybe it was it clear. maybe it was in game yeah it wasn't clear yeah. Uh, it might have been in-game cutscene, uh, so in engine yeah. rather. Yeah, uh, it, it, it was weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and the try and five one was was cute, but it was also I think people understand what co-op is. I don't think you need <laughs> to do a whole trailer. Like this is how you sit on the couch and play co-op. Yeah, the the, the delivery guy comes in and they yank him inside and hand him a controller and you got to play with us. And it's it was it was kind of yeah cute, but very. You know, I mean, a lot of people today might not know what couch co-op is. You know, not a lot of games. <laughs> oh, that hurts. I'm just saying, I'm right there with you. <laughs> anyway, some cool stuff to look forward to. Uh, I'm curious about the South Park game too, but man, Titan mm-hmm. Quest 2 for me is the one, if I could only mm-hmm. have one. Uh, I loved that first game. It was so fun. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about the games we have been playing in a segment we call The Playlist. Ooh, Mike, what has been making your playlist lately? Uh, Destiny 2, believe it or not. Yeah. All right. I, uh, I, got, in, I got back into it. I, I played a little bit when it first came out. I put 300 to 400 hours in Destiny 1, just to wow. be clear. Uh, I did not play much Destiny 2. When they first announced they were vaulting a bunch of content, a friend of ours uh, took us through the Red War campaign, which was the original campaign. And we got through it and we're like, eh, okay. That's enough for now. And I got back into it. I've been meaning to. It was one of those things where I was looking for an excuse and found my excuse and have been playing it. And I've put 55 hours or something into it in the last couple months. And the season, the current season ends in in a week. And I'm trying to get as much of the seasonal content done as possible now. Uh, that, That game, while it's returning user experience, is still challenged. 
once you once you are back in and if you have somebody bring you back in and help you kind of get reacclimated uh it's a very satisfying game and i still don't know that there is another game that that can match it in terms of gunplay it just feels so good to play that game. you know i got back into it briefly uh around uh what was it the witch king is that the least mm-hmm. lightfall Which lightfall lightfall, lightfall. lightfall. Lightfall, Lightfall, excuse me. Yes, Lightfall's Lightfall. The, yeah, Lightfall's the current expansion. Uh, yes, I got into it when, when Lightfall came out. Bought Witch Queen. King? Queen. King? Queen. Queen. Yeah, um, Sabathun. It's yes, Witch Queen. Queen with Adam Lambert, so it's not the original Witch Queen anymore. <laughs> but, uh, which, which Adam... Witch Queen? Um, uh, the, so I, I haven't played any of that content, but I bought it. It was like seven bucks. I was like, wow, I'll buy this. I'll go back and play it. A uh, friend and I were kind of getting into it. And then, you know, and then Diablo came along and other things came along. And now it's like Baldur's Gate and Starfield and a million other things. And I, but I do want to get back to it because I was, I was having a blast with it. It's, it is, you're right. There's, it is uniquely joyous in its simplicity. And it's, well, that's not simple. That's a bad way to say it. I mean, the the pure game loop of it, Mm -hmm. just the, like the doing of the thing. And I guess that's applies to Diablo four for me as well. But sure. the doing of the thing is just, they've just refined it to a point where, man, it just feels good to do that thing over and over and over again. Just blast those enemies, try a new gun, blast those enemies. So I, I'm, I'm very much a noob style gamer when it comes to Destiny 2. I, am, I don't know the systems in and out. I'm not trying to maximize my thing. I'm not trying to do, I'm just like in that game world having a good time. And that's it- enough for me. And that's where I am, too. I did have some friends take me through probably the most complicated raid that's out there right now, Last Wish. And that was four hours in one afternoon where we just hammered on this thing. And it was really, really interesting. But for the most part, because I'm focused on finishing out the season pass as much as possible, like I went from level 48 at the beginning of the weekend to 72, I think. Wow. When I finished, like I really like, and so they do have a mix of single player content and multiplayer content. I'm not a crucible player. I'm terrible at it. Mm. The only time I will go into the crucible is if I need to do it for an exotic. Yeah. Uh, so that's the only thing, but it is systems on top of systems on top of systems on top of systems. And it is really difficult to pick that apart. And the thing for me that allowed me to get back into it was not focusing on any of the systems that I didn't understand or that weren't unlocked. And it was like, I am here to play through the story. Right. So I went back to shadow keep, which is the earliest available campaign right now and just started playing that. Hmm. And then, you know, as I was talking with other friends who have been playing, it's like, Oh, in order for you to access this system, this is what you need to do. Like they added fishing in this <laughs> season. And you in order to get the fish with a laser rifle, no, I would love that. (laughs) However, you do get a fishing pole, but I didn't unlock it until yesterday. And like, I didn't know how to unlock it. I didn't understand how to interact with the seasonal content, like the seasonal story missions. So there are some places where I think because you have this game and that's gone through, Hey, we had a publisher. We've split from our publisher. We're building up, you know, kind of our, own internal competencies that a publisher used to provide for us. And at the same time, we have a game that is enormous, too enormous to maintain. So we have to vault a whole bunch of content. Mm. It it created this whole situation where all of the systems that are there are very cool in and of themselves. 
it's the interplay between those systems that I'm guessing is the most complicated thing. And when you start to understand some of that, and by, as I said, I played 55 hours and I just figured out how to access the seasonal content and I was high enough level to access the seasonal content. So it, it is a weird thing. Like you can dive in and you can enjoy it. And there are times where I'm like, I'm going to go to the Cosmodrome. For those of you who played Destiny 1 will be very familiar with that. It's back. And just run bounties and patrols and public events and just work on my season pass. Yeah. And you can do that. And it just feels good. And I can like turn my brain off and shoot, shoot enemies. Right. And that feels great. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically what I've been doing is, is it, it is, you, you said it much better than I did as I clumsily said, oh, it's simple. It's not simple. It, 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 it allows you to sort of ignore its complexities for mm-hmm. much longer than other similarly complex games do. And that's, yeah. that, that's kind of my, my feeling about it is that there's so much of the game that I'm just <laughs> ignoring because there's just mm-hmm. fun stuff to do. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's a very, very big sandbox and you can be very content sitting in one corner of it and engaging yeah. with only the things that are right around that. Whether that's bounties and patrols and story missions for the campaigns, if you're just diving back in. And that's my recommendation. If you're diving back in, just do the campaigns. And that will get you a feel that'll help you relearn all of the different the different planets and the different areas and the different like weird idiosyncrasies that exist in the game. And then you can start peeling back and looking at those systems. Very cool. That's Destiny 2. What else is on your playlist? Uh, Diablo 4. We're working through the season. Yeah. Um, I, I, I got to get back to it. I'm, I'm behind. <laughs> I'm You're very behind. behind. Yeah, me but too. But I got to finish off Destiny season first, and then I can go back to Diablo. So I would love for you to compare and contrast how, how those two very big IPs are doing their seasonal content. Because, you know, there's a lot of, I think, overlap. The Venn diagram overlaps a bit in this sort of battle pacification of things and how you... Uh, you know, you can go off and do interesting tasks and you'll be rewarded for those interesting tasks. But do you think one is doing things smarter than the other or what's your take? I I think there are two very interesting differences. Uh, One is that because Destiny has all of those systems layered on top of one another, the battle pass is actually more meaningful. Mm. So uh, there is a free and a paid track as there is in most season passes or battle passes. And you get materials and the materials have changed. Like they've, they've done a lot of tweaking, massaging. They'll introduce a concept and then they'll be like, okay, this doesn't work exactly the way we want it to. So we'll make it easier, streamline it, quality of life improvements, whatever. But throughout the season pass, the same seasonal weapon will show up a couple of times. And the idea here is you're going to increase in level between X and Y and getting the new version. Two things can happen it'll either just replace it if you haven't invested anything into that weapon. Cause now there's whole, this whole concept of master working, which is you can in- increase the pay glimmer, which is the currency you get from killing enemies and you can use materials to make a weapon better, but then you can infuse. If you've ever played a free to play game, like a gotcha game, uh, you know how this works. Like you take something you don't want and you feed it to the thing that you do want. And it makes the thing that you do want better. Right. Uh, in this case, you can infuse a weapon with any other weapon, as long as it's higher light and it'll bring it up to that level, or you can take a weapon of the same type. So I have one, one of these guns that I masterworked and I don't want to give that one up, but I got a new one that is a higher light level. You can just pay a thousand glimmer. You can hold up to 250,000 just to give people who don't play the game a sense of how much it is. It's not a lot at all. And then it just brings it up to the level by feeding it the same type. Um, 
and there's there's cosmetics in there as well, but a lot of it is very functional in the Destiny Battle Pass. Diablo's Battle Pass is challenged because it's trying to be a more traditional cosmetic battle pass. Uh, but one of the things I'm finding is that they've made this, this tactical error where most battle passes, if you look at them throughout the season, if you do the entire 100 levels or whatever it is, you get enough currency to buy into the next battle pass to reward you. Or you can use it for additional cosmetics in the store. Diablo 4's battle pass is so weird that you don't even get enough of the hard currency to buy one cosmetic item in the store. <laughs> like it's, why is it even in, in the battle pass? Um, it's, it hasn't felt as meaningful to me. Now I'm someone who loved Diablo three's adventure mode. So I do love the approach to the battle pass, mm-hmm. like being able to go and like pick activities that you're going to do yeah. to advance it um, is, is really enjoyable, but I don't think the rewards are clicking quite as much to drive people through. And it's not a great first impression. And if people used, bought one of the higher editions that comes with a premium unlock for the battle pass, where you get like the first 20 levels or something, I don't know that there's enough there to incentivize someone who did that to purchase season two's battle pass, unless they acknowledge and address all of the things that they might change along the way. Interesting. Well, certainly the history is there for, you know, Diablo three, for example, just completely, Mm -hmm you know, reworking itself to the point of getting to be really satisfying and, and popular. Oh so yeah. I, I mean, Diablo I, I three is one of the them. best turnaround stories yeah, in, absolutely. in the industry. The other one being final fantasy 14. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, interesting uh, perspective on those two battle passes. Uh, I'm still trying to get back to my seasonal content with Diablo four. There's just ladies and gentlemen, there's just. All right, uh, Christian Spicer, what is on your playlist this week? So I'm going to start with the second game I thought I was going to talk about because I think it relates well to what Mike was talking about with Destiny and Diablo. And I've gone back to Forza Horizon 5 because they're doing their seasonal content. One, Forza Horizon 5, I don't really need an excuse to go back to it. I mean, there's a a racing wheel somewhere there behind me. Um, It doesn't take a lot to get me back into Forza Horizon 5. But they've introduced some new cars in this the stuff that I was interested in has now ended. If you're listening to this, you're like, Ooh, I would like those also. They're not available anymore, but there was the seasonal content that had rewards of some cars. I thought were cool that I wanted to add to my, my collection. And so I went back to Forza Horizon five strictly for the purpose of doing the seasonal content. And if you've listened to this show over the years, you probably know I'm not the biggest seasonal content battle pass person. He lives um, in I've talked about- Los Angeles. There's no seasons. There's no seasons. There's just uh, not super hot, super hot, and fire. Like those are our those are our three seasons. Unfortunately, um, bad air, bad air. You can't go outside, <laughs> and uh, then that one week that's real nice. Um, and so I I don't generally love battle passes or seasonal style gameplay. I don't think the reward is often enough to trick me into playing if that makes sense and i would love maybe this is like a wednesday conversation or maybe we can peel off mike some other time when this episode's already probably going to be long but i love mike's analysis and i love the idea of battle passes and seasonal pass and as he was just describing diablo and, and destiny i think was fascinating but i think there is perhaps a tipping point coming with this style of added content to games 
where you're doing a thing because you love the game first and foremost. So you want to be able to spend more time in that world, but then developers are trying to give you a reason to spend more time in that world. But then that has to expire so that then you have to do it again. And so I have a lot of friends that are on that Fortnite treadmill and you're like, yes, I unlocked whatever, you know, ghost spider. Awesome. And then the next season starts and you're not going to play with ghost spider anymore because that was last season's. Now you got to get, <laughs> uh, you know, whoever this, this person is. And so, and I think that's true with destiny stuff as well. You I've, you know, hundreds of hours in destiny two at this point. I don't want to know the multiple of hundreds, but lots of there's zeros there. Right. And that grind of you get the thing and you masterwork. And I think that is a great addition to the game, but you get the thing that you want and then they nerf it or introduce something better or do the new raid that has a debuff for the thing that you have been using. And again, it's giving you reasons to stay in that world. If they just let you have the OP thing that you got at the end of the campaign, it wouldn't be rewarding because you would just be stomp, stomp, stomping around. But in Forza Horizon 5, to bring it back to that, my specific example this this past uh, week and a half or whatever it was, I spent so much time playing the game, doing things I didn't want to do mm. in order to get the thing I wanted that by the time I had the thing I wanted, I was kind of done with the game because it was like, you know, they make you and, and like somebody that doesn't play MMOs. <laughs> maybe you know the reason why. That's the MMO experience, baby. Do a I whole bunch that, of stuff you don't want to be doing. For the one glorious moment when you finally get the thing you wanted. Again, I would love to do a longer conversation on this and on the psychology of that and how it works for a lot of folks. And then maybe just for me now, starting to rub me the wrong way where Destiny does this as well. I don't know Diablo's content, so I won't speak to that. But, you know, Destiny will make you do Crucible. And it's like, hey, you, and it's like, ah, I guess I'll go lose for half an hour so that I can get the thing that I need to bring back to the person I need. And like Forza Horizon 5, I love it. I own the DLCs. I love Hot Wheels. I love Rally. I love all the stuff. But it's like, now I got to go do these drift events. And I don't want to get three stars at a drift checkpoint in such and such thing. But I need to because it's for the thing because I want to do the thing. And the game's trying to show me all the stuff I can do. Yeah, well, that's the counterpoint is, right? Like, it's fun for the... I think it's fun for these Battle Pass style things to push you into areas that you might not go to yourself. And maybe you'll find that you do end up liking a drift. Maybe not, but you know, there's, I think that's, that's not a, I think that's a, a smart design decision. It's like, Hey, let's push people into these, all these different modes that are available, you know? Yeah. I, I would disagree when I feel, unless it's new content that didn't exist in the base game. Like if you're not into crucible, now you won't be next season either unless mm-hmm. it's like something new that they're introducing and like the drifting it's not a new thing it's just making me go spend time doing that again and i think in a game like a lot of these big games often are are playgrounds that there's going to be parts that resonate more with people than other parts and i think there's kind of that disconnect of making you like you said for mmos do things you don't want to do to get the thing and so I love Forza Horizon 5, but I walked away from this season experience. I I don't think I'm going to engage in it again because there's this like FOMO aspect of it that if you don't get it, then it's gone. But I'm not really having fun <laughs> doing the thing. Like I would have had more fun if I just fired up my 67 Shelby and just, you know, had fun playing the game. And I, I found it really fascinating. It was my first real engagement in that seasonal style grind in a long time. And I walked away 
remembering why I don't do it that often. <laughs> My concern with seasonal content is what I've fallen into with Destiny 2 because I, I was kind of behind. And I, st- I started this season midway through and then I had to step away from it. Is that what I end up doing, it's the min-max thing. What is going to get me the most benefit towards the season pass content? So I haven't been going back and doing the campaigns. I've been doing gunsmith bounties. I've been doing planetary bounties. I've been doing patrols. I've been targeting those things. The thing that I love, Halo Infinite, Lego 2K Drive, Minecraft Dungeons. They have non-expiring battle passes. Halo as well. Yeah. Or like no FOMO in it. Yeah, it's no FOMO. Like you can go back to it anytime. Hey, uh, Minecraft Dungeons, I love you. Got to buy them. They're kind of like they're set up like uh, traditional DLC SKUs in the store. And you have to buy them per platform uh, if you're playing on multiple platforms because it does have cloud saves. But you can swap between those seasons at any time and progress that content. Whenever you own it, you swap to it, you're progressing that track. And it's it's really great. And I, I'm seeing it only in games that are really youth-oriented. Again, yeah. with the exception of Halo Infinite. Um, Lego 2K Drive and Minecraft Dungeons are very all ages. And I really appreciate that. But I would love to see more of that somehow in more games. And yeah. I understand why it's not because we're talking live service games. Right. And the live service mentality is constant engagement. Most games want to be your forever game uh, because they want to take up as much of your time as possible. And yeah, they're going to push you into stuff that you don't want to do, which is why I prefer like Destiny 2 is thankfully like I haven't had to do any Crucible. The Crucible I've chosen to do has been pursuing an exotic, not because I've been trying to advance the season. There's enough there for single player that you can just do the single player and probably max out your max out your season. But yeah, it's going to go away eight days from now. That, yeah. that that season is over. The new season begins. You have a full reset and you start the whole thing all over again. But I think, I mean, I think that's part of what people like about it is like, I did the thing. I get to brandish my amazing, very unique, very uh, limited edition knickknack, my hoobajube, mm-hmm. my, my bright, shiny hat, you know, and you don't, you didn't get it because you didn't do what I did. I think that's part of the allure for many folks you know i agree i think it's just a razor's edge you know yeah. you talked about uh marvel snap and those seasons being too fast and being on the other side of that yeah. edge mm-hmm. for you personally jeff and yeah. i think forza kind of landed on on totally. that side as well and when done well yeah i don't even realize i'm on that treadmill but right. I, I feel like it's the a cur- another current example of everybody chasing a thing and the numbers say that everybody can't do it well yeah <laughs> well and, and more than that we're running out of we're running out of time. That's like, the problem. Yes. There are so many games that are going in this direction. Uh, we covered this. This was a few months ago. Uh, we called it the Gassacre. <laughs> games as a service massacre. <laughs> That's the funny. Gassacre. I like it. Um, there was one week where like four or five higher profile, not highest profile, but higher profile live service games got shuttered. Yeah. And we're starting to see this happen more and more. And and developers are getting less and less time to make their game successful. There was a there was a Gundam game, an online game, that hasn't even hit its one year anniversary yet. Rumbleverse was another one that got yanked. Knockout City, right, uh, which was originally an EA Originals game uh, by Velen, uh, former founders of Vicarious Visions, the uh, the Bala Brothers. But yeah, we're we're seeing this whole thing where. Live service games are getting less and less time 
to make their mark. And yeah, okay, if a game is bad, like Babylon's Fall, that game's going to get yanked. But now we're seeing games that are landing, you know, review-wise in the middle, not hold on to an audience because you've got the titans in the industry right. that are pulling all of the attention at the time. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Everybody wants to be your forever game, and I can't have that many forever games. I can't. Mm -hmm. I don't. I I wish I could. I don't have forever as and, far as a timeline. I mean, not when you've got single player games coming out that are going to eat your life, like yes. Baldur's Gate and yes. Starfield. Yes. Well, speaking of uh, everybody trying to be your forever game, not Baldur's Gate. I'm not taking that transition. <laughs> Jeff will take that one later. This is for a simpler time. When games didn't want to be your forever game, I guess through multiplayer they wanted to be, but they were much simpler, as rumored. And many they didn't thought, know how they they wanted they, to, but they, they didn't wanted, know they didn't, it was didn't awkward for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> they wrote a note, but the friend didn't hand it across. The, death, the teacher took it, um, as rumored, and uh, much thought would happen at this year's Quake Con. Quake Two, the remastered version of Quake Two, was unleashed upon the world. And um, I've been playing a lot of Quake 2. I'm spending most of my time playing Quake 2 64, which is the Nintendo 64 version of Quake 2 that has now been released on PC, among all the other ways that you can get it, Game Pass and stuff like that. And it's been, uh, you know, beautified, not Resident Evil 4 Dead Space remake. This is very much a original Quake, but here's the, the in 4K style presentation that we're bringing to the table. And it is such a fast game, even today, in the year of our game 2023, to go back and be zooming around Quake 2. I am astonished at how fast it plays and at times how much it demands of the player where you're never resting you know you don't have a million things that you can do i think even in quake six quake 264 you can't crouch i don't remember this in the n64 version but on playing it now in this remastered you push crouch and you actually get dialogue on screen that says you can't crouch in quake 264 and i'm like ah oh, got it that's right and so it's strafing <laughs> running jumping and shooting and then getting these upgraded guns but what I find so fascinating about Quake 2 and revisiting it all these years later is this kind of first four-way four-way <laughs> foray into connected worlds and zones with objectives and things you have to do, which is very different than Wolfenstein 3D, Doom, even Quake 1 in these early, early id games, or you know, if you want a boomer shooter the broad category of this style of game where quake two has you go and do things where you need to turn off the shield before you can get to this area. But you saw that area from this other area and it's creating this, this world that is very different than doom, which is just an arena more or less, you know, get to the exit, get to the exit. Yeah. There's a story. Demons have unleashed, get to the exit is all it is. And quake two sixty four when it came out, added an actual narrative as well. I mean, Again, <laughs> it's not The Last of Us. I'm not talking, you know, you're going to be emotionally connected with these characters, but there's a story and a through line. And seeing that interplay with these connected worlds really hit home for me what, how much the first-person shooter has continued to owe to id. I think a lot of times people focus on Wolfenstein and Doom, but they kept putting in that work over that first chunk of first-person shooters 
And so I went back and looked. It came out, originally came out in 1997. And here we are in 2023, arguably one of the greatest years for video games ever, or certainly for a long time. We're not through it yet, but with what's to come and what's already come. 1997 was Gran Turismo 1, Castlevania Symphony of the Night, Final Fantasy 7, Diablo 1, Dark Forces 2, Fallout 1, Star Fox 64, The Curse of Monkey Island, uh, I think Virtua Fighter 3 might have also been 97. I mean, just the seminal year for gaming whose influence is still felt so strongly today like just across those franchises so many of them are still going strong and um i think if folks aren't olds like me and have not played quake 2 graphically it you know it doesn't doesn't hold up right it it looks old and polygonal and you can shoot the heads off people but this kind of like two polygons fall to the side (laughs) you know it's not like grotesque like it was before but I think it's worth revisiting one for the speed of the game, which is, is in many first person shooters these days, especially narrative campaign, first person shooters is not the case with how fast it plays. And two kind of seeing this beginning of what so many of the great first person shooters do today in terms of creating this world that you or shooters in general, uh, third and first that you live in experience and you have to do a thing to get to a thing, a really fascinating example. And I think it's a phenomenal re-release package giving you all of the quake 2 quake 264 and new levels oh gosh what are they called they're like it's like um machine works i think is something like that and it's like new worlds built in this engine and it plays the same way truly an incredible one-of-a-kind experience that i know people will swear by quake 1 or quake 2 i think push comes to shove quake 1 is maybe the better game but I think Quake 2 is more interesting for how it tried to push a franchise and genre forward and well worth the time as you sit here waiting for Starfield to come out and you take a break from Baldur's Gate 3. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's also on Game Pass, right? It is on Game Pass, yeah. yes. So check it out. Uh, all right. Um, I clearly have been playing a lot of Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, I talked about it for 45 minutes last week. I don't need to belabor it this week. Uh, everybody in their goat is playing uh, Baldur's Gate three, evidently, uh, which is amazing to see. I, I just love to see how this, what's felt feels like a labor of love I, is, is hitting with folks. And it, you know, hit over 800,000 concurrence on, on steam. It's just crushing, you know, divinity original sin two like peaked at 93,000 people are just loving it. I think it's part of this, Dungeons and Dragons assaults that we've been experiencing over the last decade. Um, it's it, there's a lot to, to, to be said about it. I, I think somebody should go into a deep dive on the the fact that you can do early access on a triple A game and look, it actually yields results. I think they that's had a, a quote fa- out saying they were afraid they had peaked yeah. because of early access. They thought that everybody that wanted to play it had played it and they weren't sure how it was going to do at 1.0. And wow. And, you know, a big uh, single-player experience that flies in the face of so much of the conventional wisdom uh, in in video gaming, a lot of what we've been talking about, that you have to continue to monetize, there's got to be microtransactions, there's got to be all this stuff. But also that, like, people don't want turn-based combat, you know, which is a particular bugaboo for me because I love turn-based combat. And 
it just it just feels like everybody you know i I was ranting about that with final fantasy 16 where it just feels like everybody just assumes that gamers across the spectrum of mainstream uh are kind of don't have the patience for anything turn-based anymore and i i think this just proves that is false you know because here's this game that is very methodical very turn-based you know you (laughs) there's sequences that have nothing to do with combat that it makes you go into turn-based it's just beautiful anyway i could go on and on and on about Baldur's gate and i probably will for a few more weeks until starfield comes out um so i won't belabor that too much this week um i want to tell you about my jeff's indie game of the week which has really become jeff's uh, roguelite of the week because I love roguelites. And uh, I checked out a, a game called Tales and Tactics, which is, yes, a roguelite, but uh, adding the roguelite layer onto an auto-battler, which is not uh, the type of game I've played a ton of, um, but i am always been intrigued by. Auto-battlers, of course, you set everything up, and then where you would normally have the tactics of, okay, I'm going to select a specific attack for that, for that unit onto this guy, you know, think XCOM, but instead of you picking your attacks, you push a button and uh, all the things you set up, all the dominoes that you set up for placement and selection of class and how everybody, you set the table and then you press a button and it all just happens. You watch it play out uh, in real time in front of you. That's what this game is, Tales and Tactics. Uh, The entire skill here is in setting it up, is in placing the, selecting the correct units, empowering that collect units, creating synergies between units in such a way that you can defeat your opponent when you press play and it, it plays out how all those attacks are going to go. Um, and then you do, you do these runs. It, it's, it's a fun uh, conceit, Tales and Tactics, in that it is very much... Um, the idea is that you are sitting at a table playing against a human being who's got miniatures and is sitting down to play this tactics game with you. So you're playing, but it's also like a fantasy setting. So you're playing against fantasy humans that have miniatures that are sitting down. I guess it's sort of like a Witcher Gwent kind of idea. But anyway, it's a fun conceit. The game has a, a kind of a, a sense of humor to it, which I, I like. And, uh, you know, like you'll, the first person you fight is called like newbie bill or whatever. And it's like the descriptions of the characters are very, very fun. Pokemon. Like, oh really? I have, well, no, I mean just when you like, like junior trainer bill, oh, you yeah. know, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fun. And the, the description, the flavor text will be like, hasn't quite figured out all the game systems yet, you know, like, or whatever. Uh, like it hasn't figured out that you should synergize your units. It's a fun, it's a fun intro into the game. Um, but you're, you know, you're doing these runs where you're trying to go as far as you can, and you've got these, you've got hearts as your your life. If you lose a regular match, you lose two hearts. But every time you win a match, you gain a heart uh, up to you know up to your maximum. And if you win a match at your maximum, you don't get any additionals. But so there's this push and pull of like, ooh, I lost a match, but I'm not out of out of things yet. I can still gain back and still get back to full health uh, as I go. And I think all the systems are pretty pretty slick in that. You know, you're you're. It's actually aesthetically similar to Pokemon in that the the creatures are very kind of adorable and bubbly and fun. They look a little bit like Pokemon uh, creatures that you're collecting, uh, and you can you get a, a assortment of them that you can choose from, and then you can pay 
currency, uh, in-game currency to re-roll at any point your your assortment that you can select from. Uh, every round you can re-roll for free, and you're placing um, you're placing characters on the board in specific uh, locations. You're on a hex hex you know grid, and they have classes and types that will synergize with other classes. And so you have these statistics on the left-hand side of the screen that let you see like, oh, if I add this character onto the board, it's going to synergize with this and this, or maybe nothing or whatever. And so you're picking out how you can maximize your strengths, both in a uh, creating variety of classes, which you need, you need your, your, you know, your DPS and you need your tanks and you need your healers, but also they have specific types like dragons or undead or whatever, and those will synergize with others and then unlock new special abilities when their mana procs, because their mana is just recharging uh, at, a, at a constant rate. And when it procs, their special ability goes off. So it's all about figuring out, you know, like accelerating that process with certain power-ups and buffs or uh, synergizing certain ways so that, that when that happens, really big, cool stuff happens. You can equip items onto characters you can purchase multiple of the same character and then combine them to create like an uber leveled up version of that character but all of it is in the setting it up process right it's all about placing all the dominoes and then pushing play and seeing how the dominoes go and if it doesn't work out trying a different strategy of of doing that i found it very enjoyable and I liked the roguelite layer of it in that there's certain things that persist from run to run as far as, you know, increasing my power, increasing my um, options. But in the course of a run, I have all these cool systems that I can play with. And, you know, you don't have to sit there and watch it play out. You can fast forward and just see the result if you're impatient. But I enjoy watching the little my little creatures behave in certain ways and like, ah, I didn't think he was going to do that or that was exactly what I was planning or whatever. Does it feel fair? If that's not quite the right yeah. word. Does it feel fair when you lose? Because I feel like that's for, like, you know, in Hades, it's like, oh, I clearly mistimed my whatever. And so therefore now I died and have to do it again. But I wondered in the auto batter, battler format if it felt like rubber banding in, in some aspect of like, well, oh, the computer's cheating me. That, that's an interesting question. I, I think that's an astute question and actually brings up something that I'm glad I was reminded to bring up, which is um, there are times when I felt like, oh, why, why is that, that unit just owning me? But it's got this really wild statistical layer that you can bring up that shows you like a minute or second to second graph of every, the efficiency of individual units, the efficiency of your team as a whole. How, where you got your damage from, why you got your damage from that area. It's, it's got a really dense layer of statistical analysis that you can go into if you want to really, like you lost a run and you're like, ah, or you lost just an individual fight and you go, ah, why? What happened at minute two or whatever that uh, caused that? You can really dig in deep and it's got all that stuff there graphed out for you and, and that's you cool. Highlight. It's pretty neat. Yeah. And it's got a cute little story. It's got a cute little story. So it does have the tales side of tales and tactics as well. It's not just tactics. I thought this was pretty charming little roguelite. Uh, it's just come out. It's called Tales and Tactics. And uh, I enjoy it. I enjoyed it. All right. Um, 
You know what? I want to talk a little bit of tabletop time this week because we have a really interesting one that Mike's been playing. I want to hear about it. So let's jump in to tabletop time. Tabletop time, tabletop time. Right now, right now. That's right. Two tabletop times, back-to-back weeks. It's uh, very rare these days, but here we are. I'm loving it. Um, Mike, you have been playing a game that's very, uh, I think, would be interesting to folks that are uh, playing a very popular video game at the moment. Yeah, it's why I. it's actually why I dragged it off the shelf and uh, made the kids play with me last, last night. Awesome. <laughs> it's uh, Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. We've yes. all, I've talked at length about Betrayal Legacy on the show and Betrayal at House mm-hmm. on the Hill. This is a uh, a version of that game set in Baldur's Gate, the same place that many folks are experiencing now in Baldur's Gate 3. Yeah, so if you have played or you are aware of Betrayal at House on the Hill now in its third edition, not including the Legacy version, uh, then the gameplay is very similar. There are some differences. So for those who don't know, uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill uh, and Betrayal at Baldur's Gate, you start with no map. There's no board. There are tiles. And the starting rooms have doors. Uh, And the doors are either colored red for building, yellow for street, or blue if you're down in the catacombs. And there are ways to move between the catacombs and the upper level of Baldur's Gate. Uh, you walk through a door that doesn't have a room on the other side. Your movement ends. You pull a t- the tile of the correct color and you place it and you do what the tile says. And that'll either be an instruction uh, or it'll have an icon on it, which will be an item, an event, or an omen. Uh, and the omens, if again, if you're familiar with Betrayal at House on the Hill, uh, they, they work the same way. Similar way. Uh, you roll a number of dice in this game. Um, the dice have blank sides one pip or two pips. And if you hit six on the dice that you roll, the haunt begins. And that is where the traitor is revealed. Uh, And there are 50 haunts in this game, similar to Betrayal at House on the Hill. The one that we did, I'm going to spoil it. I'm very sorry. There are 49 others. (laughs) Uh, I will not go into complete detail. This one was very different because the haunt kind of had two phases. There was no traitor revealed at the beginning of this Mm. haunt. The board was wiped. And we had to start all over again building out the board until the another haunt roll uh, with four being the target instead of six. And then the traders revealed uh, it was very, very interesting. A couple of things here, they gave it a very D and D flair. Uh, so each character uh, and there are six, it's up to six players and they're color coded. And each of the, the tiles has two different versions of that or two different characters that are, that are very similar. Uh, so I played the dwarf barbarian. Uh, there was a dwarf fighter. On the other side, uh, there's a, uh, a a bard and a ranger, I think, on on the flip side of one of the other ones. Uh, and uh, each character has a special ability, but all the item cards are things that you might expect, including a deck of many things uh, or a potion of invisibility. Uh, all of the events are very fantasy themed. It, it very much felt like we were playing a fantasy dungeon crawl uh, instead of the B, B movie horror game that house on the hill is that's awesome if you if you are not a fan of horror games even campy horror games but you like the idea of a very easy to learn game uh in fact betrayal house on the hill was my very first hobby board game that i ever oh wow that's cool it was my entry point into hobby board games uh i recommend it 
I, I, especially with Baldur's Gate three out right now, if you want more of that and you don't have, um, a, a tabletop RPG group and you can't do a campaign or even a one shot, but you really want that flair, I would recommend this game. Uh, and Lords of Waterdeep is, ah. is another game, uh, that I would strongly recommend. Very, very different. It's a worker placement game, but again, very approachable. Uh, very easy to bring new players in. I would say this is one of the best games, but the Betrayal series in general is one of the best games if you're trying to get people who are non-hobby tabletop gamers to the table, you can't go wrong. Totally agree, 100%. Well well, well outlined. I, I think that is a, a great description. I Honestly, I'm, I'm kind of the exact opposite for you. It took me a, a long time to finally play Betrayal at House on the Hill, because I just wasn't drawn to the theme, you know, I'm like spooky, scary. Okay. Eh, whatever. That's fine. But, uh, it's a phenomenal game and I loved betrayal legacy. I've talked about it at length on the show. Um, and, uh, I've never had a chance to play betrayal at, at Baldur's gate, but, uh, now that I'm back into the Baldur's gate world, I feel like it would be worth, uh, checking out. Cause it is, it is wild when the, how the haunts always, completely change up what you're doing and it's so smartly designed uh, at least in the you know the the other two versions i've played of of what it how it changes things and you know you're playing all as a co-op group trying to explore this area and then all of a sudden one person is a is a traitor and now you now you got a you got an adversary and it's all it's it's just wonderfully designed and i think adding that uh, dnd flair would be so much fun yeah. And I'll again, you're loading up somebody with items and suddenly those items are being used against you in the second half of the game. And it's like, ah, oh. yeah, totally. Yeah. So you, so I, it's got a lot of, um, you know, like inside, uh, lore, like D and D lore stuff, right. It's, it's got a lot of, uh, and you've talked about deck of many things and all that, but, um, yeah, I mean, you don't have to be, you don't, you don't have to have any familiarity with D and D to get something out of it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Very cool. That's Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. So if you're into Baldur's Gate, if you're loving the Baldur's Gate and you want more Baldur's Gate for folks to, you know, sit around a table and be social with, uh, this is a great, and honestly, completely second the recommendation about Lords of Waterdeep, which is a wonderful intro into worker placement games. I have it sitting on the shelf right over there. Uh, I, I enjoy that game as well. Very, very cool. Oh yeah, it's great. And there's a digital version. If you don't have people to play with and you want to learn how to play digital versions are great ways to learn games because you've got, you've got a tool there explaining the rules and letting you experiment. Yeah. Um, in a way that you can't, when someone's got to read the rule book and understand what's going on. That's awesome. Well, I got a couple of board games I want to mention. Uh, my kids have gotten really into board games the, these last few uh, weeks before school starts. I've been having a blast playing with them. Uh, my daughter and son both are completely obsessed with this game called Taco versus Burrito, which is a uh, <laughs> a wild game. I evidently was designed by an eight year old. Um, it's got a ton of take that, so your mileage may vary as to you know whether it causes fights in your household or not. Surprisingly, my kids, I just laugh when they, you know, their their sibling does something terrible to them in this game. But the idea is you have this little cardboard taco or burrito sitting in front of you and you have a bunch of cards. Some uh, are positive points, some are negative points and some are special actions. You want to put the positive points in your own taco. You want to put the negative points in other people's taco. On your turn, you pull a card, play a card. You can play a card in front of you or in front of somebody else. Um, and there's things where you can steal things from other people's tacos. You can force people to change hands with you. 
You can uh, get your entire taco obliterated. And the fun is the flavor text, uh, in this case, a pun as well, because it is, you know, disgusting things to put in your taco. It is, you know, weak old sushi. It's the hair from a mustache. It's moldy bread. It's all this yucky stuff that you put in your in your uh, taco or burrito. And then the health inspector can come and destroy things and you can multiply your score with hot sauce. And it's 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 cute. Um you know, it's definitely a kid's game. I don't think it is as uh, it's something I would bring out with my own adult friends. Uh, it's got a lot of, lot of take that, but it's a cute game. The game I did buy uh, specifically for my kids uh, is an old Sid Saxon game called Can't Stop, which is a wonderful push your luck game. One of the sort of most pure push your luck games uh, out there. Uh, and it's, I think, a, a really wonderful game to introduce to kids, specifically kids in my kids' age range, uh, because it sort of promotes very basic arithmetic. You have a set of four dice, and uh, you're going to roll those dice every turn and make pairs of those four dice. There's a a stop sign-shaped board that uh, you're trying to move up these pillars. There's um, all of the probabilities, all of the combinations of two dice that you can make you might be familiar from a game of craps, seven being the most probable, then six and eight, uh, then what, four and uh, uh, nine. But, you know, the, how often the, the combinations will come up based on probability, uh, that's how long, you know, the, the, the most probable combinations are the longest uh, pathways. And you can start moving up those pathways. Each player has a colored set of tokens and you try to move up those pathways you want to get to the top of three columns to win the game but you only are able to on a turn move up three columns at a time so once you start rolling you can roll as many times as you want on your turn but you have to once you start committed to going up a column you have to keep rolling that combination in order to, to not lose. So you can lose all of the progress you've made on a turn if, let's say, I'm starting with seven and maybe 12. I got uh, boxcars. I got two sixes. And the, that's the shortest distance I have to go. So maybe I'm going to try to get boxcars. I got that seven and 12 and maybe eight. And I've been rolling. I'm rolling. I'm moving up. I'm moving up. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I can keep going. And if I stop, I'll keep all the progress I've made on that turn getting toward the top. But I can't stop because that's the title of the game. So I keep rolling. And one more time, I didn't roll a combination of uh, dice that could make a seven, an eight, or a 12. And so I lost all my progress. And it's fun. My kids have had such a blast with it. We, we you know, my, my son's rolling dice and we're like, can't stop, can't stop, can't stop. Are you going to roll again? And it's fun because you're looking at all the different combinations. So you have to add all the different dice together and say all the different combinations that could be made from uh, four dice uh and uh it's it's quick to play super fun great little arithmetic game and very addictive it's can't stop uh one of my favorites yeah it's a great game all right so there's some uh tabletop picks for you and that's going to do it for this episode of dlc we do have parting gifts coming up so stick around for those but mike futter it's always awesome to talk with you thanks for being here thank you so much for having me back i love coming on uh, I, it means a lot to me to hear that. Tell folks where they can keep up with you and all the cool stuff that you do online. 
Oh, great. Uh, yeah. So I would say first and foremost, uh, the virtual economy podcast, it's virtual econcast.com. We're also on like every major podcasting platform. Uh, we call ourselves the, the podcast about the business of games for the rest of us. We try to make these topics approachable so that if you're interested in games, you want to know more about kind of how the sausage is made. We try to be that, that door that you can walk through so that you can feel confident having those conversations. It's a fantastic uh, a, show. I really thank you so it. much. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we're on a we're on a biweekly cadence right now. Um, hopefully, we're going to get back to to weekly. We're in earnings season right now, so that always keeps things interesting. And obviously, <laughs> we've been talking a lot about Microsoft and Activision, which may actually wrap up on Monday of this week. There's some reports that the CMA might might make its final determination this week, so that'll be really interesting. Really um, hope the Country on, Music Awards comes through for everybody. Yes, I really hope they do uh, because. You know, otherwise Microsoft's dog is going to run off with its girlfriend or something. Could you imagine that as a Gamescom announcement? We did it. Signed, sealed, delivered. I I think if they were, if there was a way that they could keep that under wraps, they probably would. I I totally, that would be hilarious though. Uh, And then, uh, you know, we're still on Twitter. Uh, I'm footerish, F-U-T-T-E-R-I-S-H on Twitter and on Blue Sky. Uh, but we also have a discord server. If you listen to the podcast, you know, if you like the podcast, reach out, you know, we'd love to love to have more people in our community. So that's, that's probably the best way to find, to find us Wonderful. Find me and my partner. Very cool. Uh, Christian Spicer. How about you? What do you got going on this week? Well, this show is on threads. Uh, you wait nine plus years to start a social media account for a show. It's DLC hype train on threads. I'm also there. I don't, uh, use it tons, but you can find me there if you're so inclined, if you are embracing that new social media. Uh, it's Christian underscore Spicer. And for folks who don't know, and we're looking for an easy and convenient way to share this show with their friends, you can point them to dlcpod.com. And that'll take you to a nice web landing uh, spot where you can subscribe to the RSS for this show and listen to episodes and stuff like that. And if you want to check out Danish's, I mean, I was fascinated that that two weeks ago paid DLC could have been twice as long. I know you guys had work to go do and like, not running me, up against the deadline, but it was, the, that it was, was not me. I've been sitting around oh, going, yeah. oh, this is all I do. It was incredible. It was incredible. <laughs> That's patreon.com slash DLC pod um, for that episode. It We should, I don't know, maybe at some point when Rockstar puts out GTA 6 and we learn more about, we should put that episode out uh, on the main feed a, a year from now just so we can contrast like what it was to what to what Rockstar does. Yeah. Um, and then christianspicer.com is my website if you want to, if you want to go there. Yeah, if you, uh, if you subscribe to the, to the uh, Patreon, you get all the back uh episodes of the Wednesday show. And there's some really, really fun stuff there. Uh, and also, you know, of course you also get all that other cool stuff, including follow this or excuse me. <laughs> feeling that's how, this. That's, follow Alex this. and I end every episode of feeling this with follow that. You know, we really lay down. <laughs> this last episode was about saving, which was right. kind of a, a, a little zig for what we normally talk about, but I kept hitting home for me. Like every it's how you end every play experience. And so I, I, I want developers to spend more time thinking about that because how my play experience ends might reflect on whether or not I want to engage in that game. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Again, yeah. next time. I, I, one of my biggest pet peeves, uh, I, I haven't listened to the episodes. So I don't know if you guys talk about this. One of my biggest pet peeves is 
Uh, you sure you want to quit? You haven't, all saved progress is gone. I literally just saved. Can the computer not be smart enough to tell me that I just saved and it's all okay to quit? The only, the only developers getting into heaven right now are the ones that actually put last save X number of seconds or yes! minutes ago. Come on. It okay, I'm the, kidding. Everybody's getting into heaven. That, that should be <laughs> – but that should be the, just the norm. That should be the, the – yeah. It sh- that should be – that's best practices. There's no universe where I need to be told that I'm going to lose all my saves if I just save. I, I'm talking to a computer. It should know that I just saved. Sorry. All right. Uh, check it out. Uh, also, you should check out my other shows. I have uh, <laughs> a movie and TV show review program called The Filmcast. You can find that wherever you get podcasts. I do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns. And I do a sports show called The Fan Controlled Show uh, at Fan Controlled Sports and Entertainment. Lots of uh, fun extra content. Check it out wherever you get podcasts. All right. Let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion. Mike, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? I, I do. Uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I have not watched the season finale yet, but season two just absolutely knocked it out of the park. Even with its weird tonal shifts back and forth, there was an episode about war crimes and there that was in between an episode that was a crossover with Lower Decks, which is an animated comedy show, <laughs> which is still very Trek. It's still super Trek and I love it. Uh, and then the episode after it was the musical episode which was absolutely delightful as well. It's uh, I, I think Star, Star Trek Strange New Worlds is Star Trek at its best. And if you've ever had any affinity for the franchise, uh, you owe it to yourself to watch. Now there's two full seasons on Paramount+. Plus. Very cool. Star Trek Strange New Worlds on Paramount+. Plus. Christian Spicer, what about you? What's your parting gift? Well, this, I'm saying this too late. We've, our, people have already emailed us, but uh, Virtua Fighter 3, Arcades 96... Home 98. That's why I thought it came out in 97. It didn't. 97, nothing happened. I mean, 97 was the but, anticipation. Right. Yes. Yeah. We were waiting. We were waiting with bated breath. Um, two this week, but they are related. One is the Front Bottoms have a new album out. I've talked about them before on the show. I love, I love the Front Bottoms. You Are Who You Hang Out With is the new album by the Front Bottoms. And then two, if you, like myself, are an Apple Music subscriber, Apple Music has launched a discovery station, which Spotify has kind of been known for, for better or worse, their discovery algorithm. Sometimes it can feel fantastic, and other times it feels like, you like Taylor Swift? Well, how about Taylor Swift? And you're like, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I like Taylor Swift. Well, have you listened to this Taylor Swift song? Yeah, I've li- anyway. But Apple, for a long time, hadn't really had that um, discovery algorithm in terms of a playlist. You could go in and see albums it would recommend in the for you or new releases and there'd be a new release new music section where it would show you new music that is out that it thinks you might like but this discovery station now on apple music as i spend a lot of my parting gifts talking about new music for folks to check out the intent behind its algorithm is music that it thinks you might like that you either haven't listened to which i think is really cool like you haven't heard this song ever apparently or the other fallback on it is it's not in your library mm. and it's not just new stuff. So it might be, you know, here's this old Thursday song and you've never heard it before. And it came out in a single in 2006 or something like that. So it, I think it's a really cool algorithmic approach that if it works could help uh, 
make my parting gifts moot on uh, nine tenths of these episodes because people could get it uh, from the Apple Music Discovery Station. All right. Well, here's to making Christian moot. <laughs> um, I uh, my parting gift just it, the parting gift, Jeff. Just the oh, parting sorry, gift. sorry, sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, my parting gift is uh, something I actually meant to bring up last week, and I totally forgot. Uh, the week before last, I had a birthday. Thank you. I appreciate oh, that. Classic Jeff. Oh, you're making the birth I'll, month, are you? Oh, I forgot to mention. Did I mention? Oh, did, well, I, did I tell you guys? I had a did birthday we? four and a half weeks ago. It, <laughs> um, no, it was uh, it was August 1st. And um, I got a really cool birthday present that I just think is something I wanted to share on the show because it was such an outside-the-box kind of thinking uh, demonstrated by my wife that it, it really charmed me. So you may see it if you're not watching the video version, if you're a patron watching the video version. Right there, I got the Lego typewriter. Uh, I've started a writing project. I'm, I'm really excited about it. And as a, a way of kind of encouraging that and supporting that, my wife got me the, uh, it's very expensive, these fancy uh, Lego uh, sets for adults. You know, the, that it's re- awesome. It's incredible. The, the the typewriter is an extraordinary uh, feat of Lego engineering in that it is almost functional. It looks exactly like a typewriter. It has moving parts and you can push a key and it'll move a, you know, a, I don't even know what that thing is called. The thing that shoots the letters up on a typewriter. But even wilder than that, you can't see it when it's complete, but the innards, the insides of the typewriter, Lego typewriter, are accurate to the insides of an actual typewriter. Very cool. But that's not what made it an extraordinary gift. My wife unveiled the gift at, like that, completed, put together, constructed. And my initial reaction, like she had it underneath, uh, covered underneath uh, some wrapping paper, I pulled it back, and it was the Lego typewriter fully assembled. And my initial reaction was, oh, I would have liked to build that (laughs) because that's the joy in Lego to me is the building of it. But then she unveiled to me that via some photos that she and my son had built it together in secret over a series of like six sessions where they would hide in my wife's closet unbeknownst to me and build it together. So in essence, what they were giving me as a gift was proof of a special connection that they got to have in my name because, because of me, they got to have this beautiful bonding moment. And I just thought, what an extraordinary gift that I have my my birthday created this beautiful moment between my wife and my son or a series of moments. That's really lovely. Yeah, it really, it, it was a, it, it, it dawned on me in such a, it was such a magical moment because I, I literally, she pulled it back and I think she saw in my face. I was like, Oh, I, you built it. But then I realized like what they were giving me was this much more profound thing. And anyway, I thought I'd bring it up on the show as a suggestion. Like what a cool thing to give to your loved one. I don't even know if it has to be Lego, but just the notion of 
you know, if you have a, a loved one that you want to give something to, give them the gift of creating a beautiful moment for other people that he or she loves. Uh, I think it, it was a very special to me, very special. All right, we also got a listener-suggested parting gift. This was sent to us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. It comes from Jacob, who writes, uh, my parting gift is the wonderful improv shows that have risen from the ashes of college humor in the form of Dropout TV. There's the ever-changing tabletop show of Dimension 20, which changes up the theme every season from Candyland to fairy tales to inside someone's mind. Then there's my personal favorite, Game Changer, which is, as the name implies, a very different game show every episode where the contestants have to learn what they are playing as they play it. These include games that were so good, they got they got their own spinoffs in Make Some Noise, a very silly and creative improv prompt for points, Play It By Ear, musical improv, and Dirty Laundry, social deduction about someone's scandalous secret. It's available on Dropout TV, or the College Humor YouTube channel as part of their channel membership for $5 a month. And if you can't afford the membership, their YouTube Shorts channel, Game Changer Shorts, has a lot of the show available as individual prompts. Thanks, and have a great day. Thank you, Jacob. Uh, Christian, I think you've talked about Dropout TV a few times. Uh, that's dropout.tv, I think, uh, a way to get it. But um, very cool. Thank you for sending in your parting gift, Jacob. If you'd it's like to fun. be like Jacob... Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead, sorry, Christian. It's, it's a fun, it's just a fun, uh, I think we talked about um, Game Changer before, but Dropout TV is just such a fun name, continuation for college humor. Yeah. In terms of like, you know, anyway, it's a, a joke on a joke. Yeah. They, they, they make funny stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, when that one fails, it'll be like um, childhood regrets or I don't know. I think it's called debt. Debt. Yeah. Uh... Massivedebt.tv. Uh, anyway, <laughs> if you'd like to have your parting gift read on our show, send it to us. DLCfeedback at gmail.com is where you send those. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Mike Futter and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for those awesome bumpers. Our theme song was composed by White Cube, which is Jason Sherry and T. Ryan Arnold. You can get swag for the show at dlcswag.com, which was created by Jesse J. Anderson. Our biggest thanks, however, go to our patrons for making the show possible. Thank you for supporting the show and making us uh, able to continue making these. We really appreciate it. Our top tier patrons, our hype train level patrons, get their names read out at the end of every episode, which we're going to do right now yick we're starting with you today that's right boom already started yick thank you for supporting this show zachary white thank you for supporting the show i know i've started a pattern am i going to say this every time i'm not i'm not but nate thank you for supporting the show jenny scott hughes jimmy radcliffe mitchell ness jeff luxack matt bradley victor valenzuela cheesy bob Hank Patton, Rob Rixman, Riley Knox, Kyle Starr, Michael S. Thank you for supporting the show. Relentless Rex, Curtis from Louisville, comedian Aaron Trahan, Sheru Ken, Scott Lambert, Joe DeFrank, Stephen T. Seifert, Tyler Buckwild Broad, Dwayne T. Robinson, Rob Wonder Rob Dominguez, Kevin Eddy, Brian Jordan, Hyperboy66, 
David Epp. Thank you for what? I mean, probably a lot of things, but here, this instance, supporting the show. John Sisko, Matt Valdez, Andy Joyce, Anthony Gulas, Dan Flanagan, Sasan, Adam Denby, Jonathan Talbert, Chris Zacharias, thank you for supporting the show. Chris Zacharias, Will with 1L Harris, Jonathan Putney, Mark Gowland, Malcolm King, Dan Palmino, thank you for supporting the show. Ben, Kevin Brazel, Stu Goss, Jonathan, Spice Man Forever, Schlepplifer, thank you, baby, for supporting the show. Albert, for Hail to Dios. Spice Man Silencer, thank you for supporting the show. Mike Lombardo, Michael Buck, Peter Olberg, Jad, Christian Bravery, Octavian Ratziu, Jason Novak. Thank you all so much for supporting us and helping make this show possible. We wouldn't be here without you. All right. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.